Hello and welcome to Quadrivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of the people who craft it. I am Corey Marcoux with Third Degree Entertainment in Spokane, Washington. I'm Jeff with RMT Trivia in and around Chicago. I'm Oliver with Baron Von Trivia in San Francisco, California. And I'm Aaron with Orange Cat Trivia in Richmond, Virginia. And I think I say this every time, but Corey, I never know how to pronounce your last name until you say it. So thank you for the refresher. <laughs> hey, I got you. <laughs> it is the middle of summer here in Richmond, as well as everywhere else uh, north of the equator. How are you guys holding up? Because it is hot as hell here and I'm miserable. Oh, I'm feeling great. I'm getting a lot of gardening done, getting a lot of sun, feeling good. Yeah, it's been pretty hot. Uh, so I had the kiddie pool out, plan on dipping my toes in there, maybe having a beverage. It'll be nice. Now, the last time you did that, things got a little bit weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Super weird. That's, you're not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. I look but forward I, to the pictures later. He's no longer allowed 50 feet or 500 feet from schools. <laughs> <laughs> Only when the kiddie uh, pool's involved, though. If it's just him, he's fine. But if he's got a kiddie pool, then he's got to stay away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more signs saying, kiddies, come join the pool. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that was a little too much, Jeff. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, you know, you have too many beers and then you run out of beers and then you start drinking your fiance's white claw. <laughs> you know, things get weird. As is tradition. Sure. We've all been there. So, uh, loyal listeners, you may notice a unfamiliar voice right now. Uh, Oliver, You, this is your first time on the podcast, right? Yes, sir. Why don't you tell us a little bit extra about yourself? Um, about your, your company and who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, so, I've been hosting Bar Trivia in San Francisco for... 10 years now. Um, I've been mostly doing it by just for myself as a, as a fun thing. And then recently, uh, as one of my bars went out of business, I put out feelers to, to try to find a new bar to find a, a, a home and multiple, multiple, um, venues reached out to me and I kind of got thought about it and, and thought, Wow, there's kind of real opportunity here. I've always just been kind of content with having my own thing. Um, so I picked up a second bar and hired my friend to do the trivia. So now I'm in two bars before this whole COVID thing happens. Um, and now I've been doing an online virtual trivia like you guys. Uh, I guess it's been 15 weeks now, uh, every Tuesday. And I've uh, been doing a lot of private events as well. That's awesome. And that's very convenient, as that is today's roundtable discussion topic. <laughs> Segway. I feel, I feel like you planned that. Oh, uh, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> well, you should have. Excellent. Fucking, Excellent fucking segue. own it. <laughs> so I am here as window dressing, because um, I don't really do private events, but the gentlemen have done and will continue to do them. So we're going to start, just if you guys want to talk a little bit about how you end up doing these private events. What are you doing that I'm not, that y'all have these events <laughs> that I don't? For me, it's actually pretty simple. Um, my mommy and daddy helped. Uh, for, the, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, both of my parents are school teachers, and they're actually both band directors, um, and both work. Uh, my mom works at a middle school, and my dad works at a high school, both in the Catholic private school system near where uh, we live. And because of them, I was able to 
uh, when their schools wanted to do some sort of fundraiser, uh, both my parents, if, you know, if trivia ever gets bandied about, my parents being very helpful and loving parents say, hey, I know somebody who does that. Uh, this guy, Jason, uh, from Plainfield. But if he's unavailable, you could ask my son. Um, but essentially, uh, I got through the door at both my parents' schools. And because of that, that kind of helped me get into other private schools and the other 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 Catholic schools and such. Um, so most of my referrals have been, or I shouldn't say referrals, most of my private events have avalanched from the early few that I did at a couple private schools where somebody has a kid at two different schools and they say, oh, we really liked that event. Would you mind coming to our school too? And then I go to that school and then there's a parent that has uh, a different organization or things like that. So yeah, it's mostly I got into it because my parents said, hey, did you think about doing this? And then I did it. Awesome. Corey, what about you? How do you, uh, how do you get your referrals? You said you don't. I, no, I said I don't know how. Oh, okay. So you're um, I never set out trying to get private events. Um, I would just have people showing up at my, my weekly events and ask me, say, hey, you know, we've got a Christmas party coming up. Would you do trivia? Or, hey, do you do this or that? And uh, one of the... <laughs> only things i know about business is that you're not supposed to say no so i'd be like <laughs> sure i'll i'll do your corporate party yeah i'll host your wedding yeah i'll do this shit i've never done before and i'm gonna pretend like i'm a fucking pro at it uh, is that how kept... uh, pictures of the f- of your feet ended up all over the internet uh well that <laughs> What? That is that's because my OnlyFans got hacked. Shit got weird. It's you know whatever. Like it it happens. Uh, but I just kept pretending that I uh, normally do private events until it became true. Fake it till um, you make it, as the kids exactly. say. Exactly, and I I've still never pushed it or promoted it, but they just kind of keep rolling in. <laughs> If you build it, they will come. What about you, Oliver? Um, So when I was, you know, back before this all happened, I never really did too many private events. I I think maybe maybe due in part because I kind of run a more traditional just paper and pencil trivia. I I read um, the questions over the the microphone. I don't have a fancy multimedia presentation. So I've maybe been a little bit self-conscious compared to some of these other companies that do this for a living where they have all the big sparklies and um, that forward-facing presentation. Whereas if I were were to imagine it, it'd just be people sitting around a room where I'm talking and they have (laughs) pencils and (laughs) you're sitting around a desk, right? Like not not as exciting. Um, So I never really pursued it that much because it would be too much of a deviation from my current um, format. Uh, and then when this whole uh, COVID thing happened and I started doing these virtual trivias, it it pre- presented a different opportunity in that um, I didn't have to, I, it, it, that multimedia portion was built in, right? Like they, they had, I do mine over Zoom. And so you have, you're able to see everyone, which is part of the fun. Um, I use the little breakout rooms to form teams. So they have that team aspect. And then I have slides. So that 
I, I you know, I transitioned to the slide thing um, for that. So um, it just kind of, the, the virtual format just lends itself to a slightly better um, opportunity without me having to deviate too much, like I said, from before and with able to work in the, I guess, forward facing aspect of it. And it's really, uh, really picked up because especially here in San Francisco Bay with all the tech companies, they uh, obviously have very lenient, you know, work from home policies and, <laughs> and everyone's just sitting at home doing nothing. So it's kind of an interesting atmosphere because these people haven't been affected much by the shutdown. Um, they still have all their, I don't know, six-figure jobs, however much these guys get paid. Um, but these companies that have budgets for entertainment, where they used to take their people out for happy hours and stuff, now they have swelling entertainment budgets that haven't been used. And uh, this is kind of a natural way for, for them to um, re-engage their workforce. That's that's a really interesting point about what you said with um... – your main show in bars IRL is just paper pencil with you reading questions and just transferring it to zoom in just the format that we need to, in order to do events while sheltering in place and such, just that slight change makes it feel different enough that you're more comfortable pitching. That's a really, I, I had never even really considered that because I'm one of the people that you said is (laughs) fancy. I have the big presentation and stuff. Um, but that's a really interesting take on that. I liked your point that I had never thought about, about how little life changed for y'all out there with your six-figure tech jobs. And uh, not what, me. I'm, what, I'm, <laughs> what I'm hearing is that you have more business than you know what to do with. So you've got my contact information. Feel free to pass it along. Will do, will do. <laughs> Jeff and I both do kind of the uh, the fancier, if you want to call it that. I don't, I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but we, we both do a more involved trivia, I think. Um, and Jeff, I wanted to know how, what does that look like for you, you know, comparing the private events to the public ones? Um, it's actually, it, it's, first of all, from a business standpoint, it's one of the major draws to my private events. Because... Um, uh, in, in real life and bars and stuff, when I pitch bar trivia and when I pitch private event trivia, I have the availability of putting these big slides, these splash screens that are able to, uh, advertise, uh, any people that are donating prizes, they're able to advertise, uh, the school itself for anybody who, or I shouldn't say school, but the event itself for whatever they may be raising funds for, any awareness, it's an it's an extra thing that I'm able to do business-wise to say, besides me doing trivia with these cool pictures, and it's not just, you know, it's not just plain text or anything like, you know, I take the extra steps to try and make it look uh, nice and use pretty pictures and such. Uh, but I also have the ability to advertise for people so people, they could use that when they're uh, fielding prizes, they could go to the pizza place down the street and say, hey, if you give us coupons for free pizza, we could put your name really big on a logo on a screen that's the size of the stage for everybody to see. Um, so it gives the people that I work with, uh, especially for fundraiser events, it gives them an extra, um, you know, it puts a little bit of money in their war chest. It gives them 
the opportunity to go out and uh, and you know swing a bigger bat to try and get maybe better prizes. Um, in terms of uh, the game itself, it is very similar to my regular weekly game. So I don't do anything too different besides um, add in a couple extra slides. Like I said, I work a lot with a bunch of different uh, private Catholic schools. So a lot of them like to begin their events with a prayer. So I'll put up a nice, uh, you know, uh, it'll have the prayer in nice script that everybody could read together or, uh, you know, depending on uh, where it is or what I'm doing, I'm able to do a little bit extra. But in terms of variance from my regular game, it doesn't change too much in terms of how I build the presentation itself. But it is an extra tool that I'm able to use to help uh What's a nice way to say this? Uh, make sure that the the hook goes into the fish's mouth. You know, <laughs> it's an extra sales tool for sure. Now, I I want to jump in on that really quick. I I think it's really interesting that uh, for you, the screens and everything is um, kind of a draw for the private events. For me, it's definitely a draw for my regular events. I stand out. Uh, compared to a lot of the the other trivia in the area because I do this whole multimedia presentation and I have it up on screens and you know I've got the the big professional uh, sound equipment with the mixing board and all of that mm-hmm. but I very few of my private events use screens oh. uh, it just uh, not intentionally you know I don't like push them to not use it or anything but uh-huh. uh, they just so rarely have screens available or just don't request it don't want it that all of that kind of goes to waste uh at my private events so, so you just do yeah. pencil and paper um well i, I did pre-covid yeah um <laughs> I, I would just but i i'd still read it i'd still announce all the questions they just wouldn't have the slideshow and all the fancy gifts and everything up on a screen to see they would just hear me reading it well i can do that <laughs> yeah you can that's 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 the part i was self-conscious about and turns out i didn't need a screen the whole time yeah no yeah i just i i've always found that funny that uh that the the private events don't request the screen one of the things that i've done to make sure that i can integrate the screen uh is i have a, a big projector so I don't uh, I don't plug into screens the way that I normally do at a bar game. I uh, I can use a big flat space of any wall as my main screen for everybody to see. Uh, it might take a little, you know, futzing with the lights to make sure that everybody could see it well enough. Or most schools have some sort of drop down screen for presentations on their stage in the gym. Um, some places that I do my events, they you know a few corporate events that I've done, they've taken they've just rented out a floor of a bar. And I'm able to plug into those TVs like normal. There's a bunch of different channels that you could take if you wanted to really push the video aspect of your game in too. But if you're having the same success without the extra steps, that might be <laughs> extra extra hassle, you know? Yeah, I'll I'll usually bring even if they don't request the screen. Uh, I'll bring you know like a 42 inch flat screen with me so that if there's somebody who's hard of hearing, um, then they'll be able to read. The, the questions, but yeah, it very rarely gets used. That's actually a really interesting... I, I've had a few 
uh, a few complaints, well, not com- complaints isn't the right word, a few requests of uh, balancing my background music over my speaking microphone channel uh, because of hard of hearing guests. And that's actually something that I never that I never thought of. It's like a smaller a smaller display uh, closer to those guests. That's actually a really interesting idea. You're welcome. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll take my cut off the top. <laughs> so the moral of the story, Oliver's, is don't feel don't feel limited. Um, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> you guys kind of touched on it, but. Um, Something that I've experienced in terms of, of the private events, sometimes people want to do, like I did one for a family happy hour. People want an excuse to connect to their family. But a lot of people do them as fundraisers. Um, if y'all want to talk about a little bit about I know, Jeff, you said that sounds like you predominantly do fundraisers. Yeah, that's um, correct. Just in terms of curating content, um, what kind of considerations go into how? what kind of questions you ask for a – public versus private versus charity versus whatever kind of game? The the real defining factor is uh, the organizers themselves. Um, I've found that uh, the organizers themselves will have some idea, uh, whether it's a corporate event, whether it's a uh, charity event, whether it's a, a legitimate uh, trivia event, uh, they know right about where they want. And you know, I've been doing this long enough that if somebody says, I'd like a medium game of trivia, that I can hit that mostly on the nose, you know, a few softballs, you know, so that nobody feels left out and a few harder ones to really separate the the teams that know their stuff. But, you know, that's a pretty easy pin to hit each time. And whether I'm doing a, a fundraiser event uh, versus a corporate event versus a, uh, I did one for my family. There was a, a recent baby shower that had to do uh, that we had to do virtually. So I, I made up some baby questions, you know. Uh, and so each of those has to be handled differently. And it's generally the organizer of the event that works with me and says uh, either something like, we want this to kind of be low-key, fun, you know, that lets me write goofier questions or easier overall questions. I have one where they they literally asked me to bring the pain, like make it tough, make it harder. We have a lot of people that play a lot of pub trivia and they want it, you know, it's very competitive for these people. Um, and I have uh, I have one that I've been doing for, I think, six years now. No, five years. But, the, you know, the better part of, of at least a decade um, where I know the crowd. Uh, it's the same people because their kids are still in the same schools and they have multiple kids. So I've been working with the same people for a long time. So I know that crowd almost as well as I know my weekly crowd. So I know what's going to go over and what doesn't. Uh, but the, to, the, to your original point, um, depending on the type of event, it's really going to be the organizer and what their main idea uh, for the event. That's what's going to define the writing process or the questions that I choose to use in that game. So I had a quick question. So when you're talking with um, the organizer is the one that... Um, I guess determines the difficulty. Like, like you go to a Thai food restaurant, and it's like, how spicy do you want this? <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of. Um, that that's actually a, a really good a really good analogy. Because um, I generally I generally ask them questions along the line of, is this just for fun? 
is there some pride involved? You know, is how many years have you guys been doing this? If if it's my first year working with them, have you done anything like this before? Uh, and all of those things are the same things that I use in my regular my regular business life when I'm pitching trivia to different places. Um, you know, is this? Do you want to go uh, hard in the paint on these people? Do you want these questions to really make them rack their brains? Is it more of a relaxed kind of fun atmosphere? Um, I've also used it as a, as a means to help raise funds where, uh, a couple of the schools that I've worked with have offered like freebie stickers where I say, you know, for, you know, $5 or whatever for each round, uh, you could use one of your freebie stickers to get an answer right. Even if you get it wrong, you know, as a way to, to have each table come up with an extra $5, and that allows me to ask harder questions than I normally would if they're going to do that, because I know people will use the freebie stickers. Um, or, you know, there there are many multiple ways to approach it. But what you said was really spot on. Uh, if you go to a, a restaurant and the server says, how spicy do you want it? That's, that's really what it is. And uh, it, the organizer of the event is generally going to be the one that is the arbiter of the overall difficulty um, especially, especially for first time events where I've never worked with a crowd before or a certain crowd, I should say. I agree with a lot of that, but I also never trust the organizer when I'm asking them. I'll, I'll ask them, I'll say, Hey, uh, how hard do you want it to be? But then I'll make it slightly easier than whatever they say. <laughs> um, just like, like a restaurant a, a, with your steak. Yeah. yeah. If if it was a one to ten scale, if I said you know one's the easiest, ten's the hardest, how hard do you want it? And they said eight, I'd probably give them like a six. Yeah, for um, sure. They always overestimate how difficult they want it to be, and it's uh, even when you're giving them what they ask for, it it looks uh, bad on you if the people aren't having fun. Yeah. And and so I really like to. Uh, uh, err on the side of more questions correct. Absolutely. But I'll also, in addition to straight up asking the organizer, I'll look at what they're offering or what they're doing. You know, if this is a fundraiser for an elementary school, you know, it's going to be easier. Uh, we're just going to make sure people are having a good time. But if it's the winning team is getting a $1,000 cash prize, they're going to have to earn it. You know, yeah. So things like that will will definitely sway the bar too. I have a an interesting statistic that uh, may be of of discussion topic uh, because I do quite a few fundraisers more than anything else. Uh, generally, they offer some sort of cash prizes or coupons and stuff for for most of the players that place at the end. But generally, like you said, the first place team gets uh, you know a chunk of the cash that they raise that day because they have you know cash laying around. Um, I would say with near 100% certitude, almost every of the fundraisers that I've done, all of the people that have won have given their prize back as raised funds, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah, like it's very surprising coming from um, the bar trivia aspect of it where people are, you know, you know they're fighting not, tooth and nail yeah they're they're trying to get that one extra point that they needed to get that 25 versus 35 dollar you know <laughs> gift card uh to have the people win like literally a thousand dollars cash and have them say this is going right back to the school and then hand it right back to the organizer it's a really cool thing to see 
people just enjoying the event for what it is and not, you know, they, they like the glory aspect of it, but they don't want the, the prizes. I thought that was a really cool thing of, of hosting private events like that. So speaking of the winners giving cash back, what do you do? If you are hosting a fundraiser, do you donate some of your cost uh, or do you charge them less? What do you do? Do you just look at it as another corporate event? I mean, uh, no matter how great the cause is, we still need to pay our bills. So how do you look at that? Yeah, like for, I don't know, I do kind of take into consideration um, the type of company the event is for. Um, Here in the Bay Area, a lot of them are tech companies. So, uh, you know, it's just standard rates. But for example, uh, I recently did one for... Um, an SPCA in British Columbia, um, Canada. And they were a referral because um, one of my go uh, trivia goers went to school at the University of Portland, went to school with someone at the University of Portland who now works for the British Columbia SPCA. And so they contacted me and um, asked for the price. And I gave them a little discounted price just because they're the SPCA and, you know, I knew... Money for nonprofits, um, you know, they're they're not flush with cash like like tech companies, right? <laughs> so, um, so I gave them a break on that, and then when I sent them the invoice, uh, the the lady messaged me back and said, "Oh, um, so because it was a, it, it was handed off to her, so I talked it off, talked about it with someone else and just handed it off." She's like, "Oh, I thought the price was going to be Canadian dollars." Um, you know, with U.S. dollars, it it's now this this much. She's like, "Would you be willing to take?" And she said, "Like it was something like twenty five dollars less Canadian, which was like thirty five dollars less U.S." And she's like, it, "I know it doesn't sound like much, but it would mean a lot." And and I, I immediately I was just like, "You know what? Let's I'll just do it at the original." Canadian quoted price. You know, it ended up being like a $75 or $100 difference. Um, but to me, it wasn't that much money. and But to them, it meant a lot more, you know? So I was happy to kind of offer that to them. I would never have thought about the exchange rate as something to consider. Yeah, Baron Von Trivia is so, international now. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> huh. for, for my private events, because uh, like I said before, a lot of what I do is fundraisers for uh, smaller private Catholic schools um, and coming from a household where both my parents <laughs> teach at said style university. <laughs> um, I guess university is not the right word. Both my parents coming from those same type of schools. Uh, I know how little their funding can be for things, especially with both my parents in the music programs. Um, so when I work with uh, specifically school fundraisers, I give a absurdly deep discount comparatively to uh, my corporate rates or if it were just to be a regular bar trivia night. Um, and I do that as, a, and I tell them that I say, look, this is what m this would cost you on a normal day. I'm donating 50% of what you would pay me in advance. Like you, all I'm doing is cutting everything that I, that you're going to give me in half take that other half and put it back into your schools. And that like the advertising has been 
uh, a pretty good sales tool as well. I mean, everybody likes getting a discount. Uh, and considering the fact that uh, a lot of that has led to me working through other schools and stuff, especially for fundraisers, uh, you know, the, the Robin Hood as trivia host who gives back most of his pay for that evening. Um, considering the balance between how little I actually have to write specifically for those, because for most of those events, I'm drawing questions from the past. So I've already done the work for a lot of it. It's just showing up on time to go do it. Uh, and then also the good favor that I earn with them for charging half as much and, and counting the other half of that as a donation. Uh, it goes, it goes pretty far towards um, earning good favor with them. You know, it, it's, it's a, it's a net gain for me. I think in the end to take a little bit less from them uh, and end up with more jobs overall. Yeah, I, I've noticed the same. Um, I will often talk myself down in price before I even go to them. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, I, I use that same, I don't want to call it strategy, because I feel like that kind of uh, lessens it or makes me feel like dirty or conniving. But that's what it is. Um, I, I use that strategy. I'll tell them, hey, this is what I would normally charge for this. Um, but if you're willing to pay that price, I will then donate half of it back to you. Um, and the benefit in that, as opposed to just taking a, a half the price is they then get to add it to their donations total. So, uh, visually it looks better for them and for me, and I can also get a donation receipt, um, to put towards taxes and things like that and it really kind of benefits everybody that's uh, really around. smart that's really smart because you're doing <laughs> business stuff with your business thing i know yeah. right that's yeah i'm the same response like that's clever as hell jeff just doubled his prices so he can cut them in half yeah that's right good call oh no what what have i done <laughs> <laughs> prices just doubled i mean it sounds like there's about to be a lot of gigs opening up in the chicago area Oh. Hey. Right. Oh, well, we'd be more than happy to have you come out here for once travel is normal. <laughs> oh, I meant because some asshole just jacked up his prices to double. So, <laughs> oh, uh, that's what I was saying. Yeah, when I don't get hired anymore, I know a girl. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> so, one of the questions that I'm often asked is why are my private event prices higher than the normal ones? Uh, it's usually, you know, friends or family asking it just because they're curious. Um, and they'll just say, well, aren't you using the same equipment? Are you, aren't you just asking questions and doing the same thing that you, uh, normally would do when somebody comes to you with that question? What do you say? What do you tell them? The overall pricing, like you were saying though, uh, for private events, when compared to your weekly game does end up going up because there are a lot of things that we have to account for that we normally don't have to. Most of us who work in bars work places where there are pre-installed sound systems or we have some sort of smaller portable PA that works for a small space. But when you're hosting in a gymnasium that's full of people that are talking, your normal small PAs won't work. You need a bigger system, which means equipment rentals. Sometimes, um, like Corey said, sometimes you need to bring extra TVs or I have my uh, 
my projector that I had to figure into how much it costs for me to buy and how much I'm going to have to work, um, how much I'm going to have to add to the totals in order to afford the the nicer projector that I got. And so the overall cost of private event uh, trivia hosts is going to go up. There's uh, pens and papers that you're not expecting to get back or, you know, you know, things like that. And then you have your equipment rentals. I have a couple of friends that volunteer their time to come out and help me be graders, which is really nice of them. But, you know, honestly, if they wanted to, they could they could rake me over the coals for like 50 bucks and say, hey, man, why don't you help us out? You know, normally they're they are very helpful and lovely. I call them my trivia minions and I pay them in beer and pizza. Uh, but, you know, there are extra costs that you have to account for when you're doing private events that you don't normally have to work with, especially when you're doing a repeating gig at one place. Hmm, that's interesting. For me, the pricing difference kind of comes more to um, preparation because for your weekly show, you can ask whatever you want. You know, you, you come up with stuff uh, during the week, throughout the week, uh, you curate your own questions, but for a private event, you're, you're tailoring it to that audience, right? So um, I guess going back to your previous point about, um, you know, how spicy do you want it? For me, it's a little different I approach it a little differently in that I kind of find out the demographic of the the people. I, I you know, what's the age range and what's the average age? And that kind of gives me a reference point um, as to the spicy spiciness level. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, obviously, we'll have more in-depth conversation about experience or what they are looking for. So there, there are other inferences, too. But my kind of main content um driver is is more demographics than um necessarily maybe what the host um is is thinking because a lot of times they don't know they just want to put on an event for their their um employees they want a re-engagement event a, a bonding event um, they're not thinking oh make this challenging or make this we have a competitive group they just want like something fun and lighthearted that that um people can enjoy uh, yeah, you, you bring up some, some really good points. One of the things that I try to point out is even though it looks and, and seems the same uh, for the players, there's actually a lot more work and stress that goes into it on my end. Um, if I make a mistake at a weekly gig, like we all just kind of laugh it off and have a beer. And it doesn't mean anything. But if I make a mistake at a wedding or at a 400 person corporate event or, you know, at a really important fundraiser for a really serious cause, it can completely destroy the mood. It can make people feel awkward and kind of taint the night. Um, and so I'll usually do a lot more prep. I'll have backup equipment. I'll usually bring an assistant and all of that goes into making it look like your standard, typical weekly event. But there, there is a lot more in the back end that goes into that extra pricing. Uh, what about you, Aaron? How, how do you feel about private event pricing? I'm scared of it. Um, one of my biggest issues <laughs> as a trivia host, as an attorney, as everything is I have a really hard time gauging what my time is worth. So it's something that I've been thinking about more as people have been reaching out. 
Um, one of the things, and Oliver, I love your, you know, mild, medium, hot suggestion. I think I might borrow that because I try to explain to people, same as you guys do, what, why it costs this so that people don't feel like they're being, you know, given the runaround. Um, but I'll definitely say, you know, if you want me to ask 10 general knowledge questions, I can do that because I ask 50 general knowledge questions a week. If you want me to ask very specific things, it's going to take me more time. And, you know, I'm going to charge you by the hour for the research that it takes because I want you guys to understand that I don't have a bank of hyper-specific friends questions. That's the example I give because I've never written a friends question in my life. Um, and it's, it's more than just, like Corey was saying, it's more than just a standard show. Like I can put one of those together in my sleep at this point, and I think sometimes I do. And that's where communication with the person who's running it is super crucial and something all three of y'all have touched on that, you know, it's important that they know what to expect and that you understand that they're what you're saying and what they're expecting are probably going to be different things just because people don't understand what goes into it in terms of question writing and presentation and the stress. Um, I've hosted two private events and one of those was for a family and it was important to me that they have fun because when you show up at a bar and you play trivia, it's like, oh, well, like Corey said, the host made a mistake. If you're paying someone and they screw up, it's like, well, then what the hell am I paying you for? And it definitely puts a, a much higher burden on us. The, the stakes are a little bit higher. Um, so that's something that's part of the reason I kind of shy away from them is that I don't, <laughs> I don't like being stressed out. So in terms of coming up with questions and question content, um, we'll start with Oliver. How do you determine what's appropriate for your group and what kind of questions are you bringing to people that are paying you? Yeah. Um... So I don't know, I, I try to keep my rounds um, well-rounded in terms of topic um, so that I, I, so more people are able to engage, right? So if you have, you know, sure, a lot of people have seen The Office. So I don't, I don't, I don't do theme rounds. I know we talked about it last, or you guys talked about it last episode. But I don't do the theme rounds just because there's a chance that a percentage of the people won't be able to contribute or participate at all. And that's no fun. Your job is to engage the whole audience. So I try to keep it um, as varied as possible. Um, try to touch on all the different topics. Um, I have kind of like a standing, um, a couple standing sets that I use that I've just kind of curated that I know will touch on all these things, but I'll have like replacement questions depending on say, the age of the group or the demographic of the group. So for example, um, I have this large set where um, the theme, the, the mystery theme is um, Las Vegas casinos, right? So um, there's one question that started off, um, what was the uh, uh, what theme song of uh, Martin Scorsese film originally sung by Liza Minnelli, most famous uh, mo though most people associate it with another singer, um, you know, obviously New York, New York, right? Um, and then for the younger crew, I have one about Eminem, no, sorry, about Jay-Z using um, the collaboration with uh, Linkin Park and he, like, which song did he use in his collaboration with Linkin Park? And that answer is Encore. So one one is more tailored towards you know, a younger millennial audience versus the other one, maybe for an old, uh, like an older corporate kind of feel. Do you know what I mean? Um, or pop culture, um, I'll, I'll have like different 
pop culture references. So some might be like, I, I might ask a Beyonce question for one group, but I'll replace it with a, like Marie Kondo or, or something like that for, <laughs> for a different group. I, I have the benefit when I do some of my private events of knowing that most of the players are the parents of children that go to that school, which gives me a pretty decent age range of they're probably no younger than 30 and they're probably no older than 55. And so that helps me <clears throat> in terms of choosing pop culture references and things that people know. You know, that's not a hard and fast rule because sometimes they bring their teenage kids or sometimes they bring their parents. So there's a set of grandparents there. Uh, but knowing the age range of the crowd is definitely helpful. Actually, along that point, the range of age sometimes poses an interesting, um, I guess, problem set for you. Because uh, I like to include a music round. I, I feel like a music round is a quintessential part of trivia. And some, some people don't have it, but I personally love the music round. So I think by um, uh, projection, I, I feel like they want a music round, right? So uh, <laughs> I think In case that it ever comes up, I don't want a music round. Yeah, there's some people that don't. I have some regulars that say, like, at the end of the shows, can you just do, like, all music? Like, just replace all the rounds with music, you know? It's just everyone's little thing. Um, but music, especially in today's day and age, is is kind of the hardest um, round to be able to cater to a, a wide um, age range. Because especially with Pandora and Spotify, you have no reason to go beyond the genre or the artists that you like. You can just stay in your little wormhole um, <laughs> and, and not leave forever, do you know? Um, so one interesting or one thing that I've kind of defaulted to for like the first event is, uh, is um, this came, this idea came from Calvin, who's been on the show before a footnote trivia. And it's not an original event, but it's um, the before and after theme. Right. So you take um, play two song clips and the music artists and the songs are different. But the last word of the first artist goes into the uh, first word of the second artist. And that way you can kind of combine genres. You, you're, you're asking one song, but you're actually covering a large range of musical tastes or time periods. For example, uh, Carol Kings of Leon. Right. Or <laughs> or uh, Beach Boys to Men. Right. So you, it, it it covers a lot of people, it covers a wide variety of music tastes. And I, that's kind of been my default for that first corporate event. And it's also fun. Like, like even if um, you don't know one of the bands, you'll, you'll, you'll know one of them, right? So you're like Kings of Leon, and then you can think backwards. So it's trivia in that respect too. So it's, it's, it's kind of multi-layered in terms of both usefulness and like fun. That's a really, that's a really fun take on that for sure especially when you're trying to hit both points of, of age ranges. And now I'm over here trying to think of a fun mashup of a Carol King song and a Kings of Leon song. And all I could think of is the tapestries on fire. <laughs> tapestries on. Well, the, 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 yeah, the, the, the songs don't blend just the artist name. So you can just play like whatever Carol King song with like um, sex on fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, while trying to, create those good questions for everybody uh i'm sure we've all found ourselves falling flat at times uh or maybe not being super well received 
do you have any instances where you weren't uh, uh, able to kind of quite pull it off at a, a private event or any other fun <laughs> stories to share from a private event? I I have I have one that stands out far above any any <laughs> any complaints I've ever had in any game. Uh, there is one table at one of my events that uh, was they fought the technically correct is the best type of correct <laughs> argument, and they demanded that their points be reinstituted. And the, it was a very first round question, so it was only worth ten points as opposed to the higher round ones later in the game. And the question was, I have it pulled up because, <clears throat> excuse me, let me get my question reading voice. I have it pulled up because I want you to understand this question in its simplicity and ease and know that the wording is very specific. Named for its distinctive shape, what is the nickname for a bone-in ribeye steak the expensive cut of beef popular in upscale steakhouses. So that one, if you are unaware, is known as a tomahawk steak because the tomahawk steak looks like a goddamn tomahawk. It's got the entire rib connected to it. And the steak is at one end. It's like a foot long. It's a giant thing. And I had a, pic- I had a picture of it up on the screen, too. Can you re- OK, well, without the picture, can you read that one more time? Because my head went to a different answer. Did- sure. Uh, named for its distinctive shape, what is the nickname for a bone-in ribeye steak? The expensive cut of beef popular in upscale steakhouses. Hmm, okay. Because I originally so, thought T-bone, but T-bone is a strip steak on one side and a what, tenderloin on the other. So I guess... That's correct. Right. Yeah. So uh, keeping in mind as well that there is a picture of a tomahawk steak, which after you've seen it once, you will never forget it because it literally looks like a weapon. It's a Flintstone Um, steak. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that was the question. So the answer that I was looking for was tomahawk steak or tomahawk. And there was a, a team that answered cowboy steak. And I said, that's incorrect. When, you know, when we were grading the answers, they came up after the round and said, no, that's a bone-in ribeye is known as a cowboy steak. I said, no, a bone-in ribeye is the cut, the trimmed rib. So it's that same cut, but with a trimmed rib, and it does not look like a cowboy. And they said, but it's still technically correct. And I said, it doesn't take its name because it, it, the steak doesn't look like a cowboy. I don't know how much clearer I could put that. There is one correct answer for this. And they said, cowboy steak is still technically correct. And I, I went back and forth on them about, the fact that a cowboy steak doesn't look like a cowboy and it is not named as such like that, you know, that's the, the read the fucking question part of that question. And they argued with me the entire rest of the night. It was the very first round grading that. And for the next three hours, every time they brought up their answers, they asked if we were giving them their points for that. And it ended up at the end of the night, being the deciding factor between them coming in second or third place because that 10 points mattered at the end. So it just got so out of control. And and all I could say to them by the end of the night was like, if you order a cowboy steak, do you expect it to have a lasso, little cowboy hat and some boots? Like it doesn't literally look like a cowboy. Tomahawks look like a tomahawk. I can't, I, I just, I just fell apart. It was my least productive encounter with any guest who had any issues with anything that I said of all time. And what uh, was this out loud? Like the whole crowd could hear their argument, right? 
No, it, it was um, it was up at the judges' table. It was not done over the microphone. I did not. Uh, I as much as I wanted to, I refused to publicly shame them for trying to force an answer that was technically correct, uh, but it didn't match the requirements of the question. Uh, but I'm sure that they spoke to their next door neighbors and tables and stuff like that. But in the end, they were good sports about it. They were just upset. And this you was know, at a this was at a private event. This is at a private fundraiser event where the gifts were like a twenty five dollar gift card to the pizzeria down the street. <laughs> they were they were really mad. <laughs> I was so like, guys, do you, do you find yourself when you're running into that issue at a private event? Uh, do you, it sounds like you didn't give into them this time, and I wouldn't have either. Uh, but do you find that maybe you are a little more lenient at private events or? Are you still like, nah, fuck you. Like, uh, be right, move on. A lot of it, a lot of it depends on the people. And as I haven't been presented with too many other people that have had uh, serious grievances like that, you know, there's some people that's like, oh, I thought it would have been this. And then I explain why it's not, or like, oh, why didn't I get points on that? You know, like genuine concern uh, as opposed to no, we're right. Give us points, you know? So um, in terms of leniency, I think if they had, had asked nicely maybe i would have been more lenient or uh if it had been the difference between first and second place i might have contemplated it differently but i did i i grabbed the organizer and a couple of the other people that work for him i said look here's the situation we have an issue where i had to make a ruling and the ruling is this because of that is that okay with you guys you know and it's it's always good practice to default to the organizers as well and say you know, I want to make a decision, but I want you guys involved in that decision making too, just to, you know, again, keep, keep their good favor because you're entertaining their people. Uh, just generally speaking though, do you, would you say you're more lenient or, uh, I, I have found in my question, in my question choice, uh, I have, uh, tried to avoid questions like that one where there are technically correct, the best kind of correct answers, <laughs> Uh, and and made them fairly black or white. Like this is the answer that I want, and nothing else can count because it's easier to grade, and you avoid situations like that in the future. But well, when a when a situation does present itself where, you know, they got most of the way there on an answer, yeah, I I do find myself being a little bit more lenient uh, in terms of letting an answer that would just be underneath the bar of what I want it to be slip through every now and then but that's definitely a by by event standard well talking about questions that have a uh specific series of requirements aaron <laughs> so it sounds like Corey's trying to tell me it's time to introduce the keyword challenge today's keyword comes to us from taylor m in hayden idaho and that word we're going to write a question off of is the word hubris hubris Oof. Yeah. One of them $5 words. All right. All right. So we're going to step away to write a question. We will be back. Hey, everyone. Jason here. While the host and I step away to think about our keyword challenge, we just wanted to remind you that you can check us out online at Quadrivia Pod on Twitter. On Facebook, just search for Quadrivia Podcast. And you can always email us at quadriviapod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Uh, what you don't realize is that we actually took a day and a half break 
and it's still for you it's gonna seem like 14 seconds so uh oliver why don't you uh tell us what you were able to do with the word hubris oh man and uh uh, don't forget to thank Taylor M for that. All right, Taylor, <laughs> Taylor, Ta- yeah. Ta- Taylor, uh, Taylor with two A's. <laughs> why are we uh, view- Taylor, Why are we viewer ta- shaming? <laughs> because it's Taylor. So, uh, super quick backstory: like a, the fourteen second version. Taylor is a longtime player of my trivia. Um, we call her Lucy because of Lucy from uh, Charlie Brown. You know, just evil, horrible person that she is. (laughs) And Taylor is one of the sweetest people out there. Um, So it's fun to give her shit about being a terrible person. You know, because she's not. Uh, She's also a good friend of my wife's now. She met my wife through me and my trivia. Now they go listen to podcasts in Seattle and they go on little tea dates and stuff. Like my wife took her to a little tea house and they had little sandwiches and shit. And it's fucking weird. And I I was confused when you said tea dates. I'm like, do they just do things that begin with the letter T like go to the theater or both of their names? Uh, No, only, only hard teas, only hard tea dates. Typing Uh, classes. Taxidermy. Tap dancing. <laughs> Trivia. Ooh. No. Ooh. <laughs> uh, we the, probably the, should have thought of that first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the nerdy part of me when you were telling her story was we call her Lucy. And the first thing my mind went to was not Charlie Brown, but how does this girl look like Australopithecus afarensis? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's the one. That's that's where her name came from. Yes. She is weird looking. You I'm should see you should see her brow line. Oh brow line God. like whoa. All right. Let's let's stop and get back into what we're doing. Uh Oliver, give us your keyword, please. All right. All right. Your this was question. the most intimidating part of coming on the show, because you guys all write very complicated and I mean, the uh, sometimes your questions start at A and end up in Z, like, you know, so um, I approach this question as how I would write for my own regular Tuesday crowd. So um, something a little more simple, something that they can get, um, you know, medium-ish difficulty, maybe easy for some, but um, something they've, I don't know, they can kind of work out, right? So uh, my question goes like this. Uh, Hubris is a common theme in the work of ancient Greece. Often associated with Greek epic poetry, what rhyming scheme comes from the word for finger? Because each of the finger's three bones correspond to a syllable in the scheme's structure. See, here you are saying that we're the ones that take it from A to Z. Uh, Yeah. What? What? Uh, Hubris, Greece, and then poetry. You know, Greek poetry. Sure. Straight line. Yeah. <laughs> if uh, if Calvin were here, he'd, he he would have he would have got this. Uh huh. Yeah. You San Francisco hosts all sticking together. <laughs> it's it's kind of a literature. You know, I'm actually traditionally weak on literature in terms of like my trivia knowledge. Um, but so the word for finger, I think, is dactyl uh, or dact something. Uh, 
like digit dac like yes yeah i think that that's i think that you're right on that but i'm not putting it together yeah it's out of our misery oliver it's a <laughs> dactylic hexameter hey i was kind of close uh, i had at least yes, two of the syllables yeah. okay but you ever heard of that before no um nope okay i'm assuming if it's if it's dactylic hexameter that's right that's what you said yeah so that it has uh, dactylic would be three feet and then six overall. Chunks. Hey, I just I just wrote the question. <laughs> no follow ups. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I, I went in a bunch of different uh, um, directions with this, um, but I kept coming back to my English teacher when we learned the word hubris and we were reading. Um, the Odyssey by Homer. So I just couldn't get out of that mindset. Uh, so I just went down that rabbit hole. Cool. Well, that's that's two major <clears throat> major rhyme schemes there. Yeah, ionic pentameter, dactylic hexameter. There you go. Yeah. We're uh, learning something new. For all of you listeners who are not here with us, I mean, we're not here with us. We're all over the fucking country. But uh, we have a Discord that we we use to keep ourselves on track while we're hosting and i'm not doing a very good job of following that but uh, we also post our keyword challenge questions in chat so that we can read them um and and try to guess them and i asked oliver to post his question and he posted it as an image (laughs) with a transparent background (laughs) this is what we're dealing with here I literally hit control C on my Microsoft Word and control V on uh, I don't know why Discord did that. I don't it know. It posted as a PNG image file with uh, black text, no background. I'm going to print transparent background. <laughs> all right. Well, that was a good question though. You did a there. great job of Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> dactylic hexameter all right well let's see uh let's see what everyone else came up with aaron would you like to go i would love to watch me fuck up reading this as well (laughs) possibly the most succinct definition of hubris is the adage pride goeth before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall this line is from chapter 16 verse 18 of what old testament book Part of the writings section of the Hebrew Bible, it contains 31 chapters divided into eight subsections with titles like The Saying of the Wise, These Are Also the Sayings of the Wise, and The Words of Augur. I'm going to go out on a limb and have a guess, but uh, I, does yeah. anybody else have a guess first before I just start naming books of the Bible? <laughs> so, just the the way she described it... Um, I feel like I've got an educated guess on which book it is. It is the one you're thinking of. Does and you're at a Catholic school, aren't you? Or is that Me? someone else? Yeah. No. no well, yeah. I, I both my parents are at Catholic schools. Yeah. That's right. Uh anyway, is the book you're thinking of? Does it start with a P? Yes, it does. Okay, and then yeah, go go ahead with it. I was I was gonna say um, Pride something and like that's the one. <laughs> The, no, the the phrase "pride goeth before the fall" uh, is probably the most 
well, or I shouldn't say well-known, but it is a well-known proverb in itself. And Proverbs, for people that do not know, is a book of the Bible. Yep. So I'm wondering if the uh, the use of a literal proverb that has become a proverb is the key to the answer here. I, I think it might be. Yeah. Also a synonym All for right. the word adage is a proverb. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. Nice job. I actually, so after that, I, I went back and I reread your question to see if you... Uh, made it a douchey trick question. <laughs> <laughs> no. And you could if you replaced adage with a uh, proverb. Mm-hmm. Bam, there's your DTQ. Yeah. I like as, that. As someone who uh, grew up from an immigrant family, I, the Bible is not very familiar with me, but I, that's not something that I would be angry at. You know, prover- I've heard of proverbs, um, and I'm sure someone on my team would have got it. So, um, not a question for me personally that I could contribute to, but it's not one that would be read to me and be like, come on, who the heck would know that, right? It's not like Ezekiel 2243. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, baby. Yeah, I think I th- <laughs> I think it does have some entry points for people that are not, you know, uh, biblically uh, studied, learned. So yeah. I like, I like that it. it was a proverb from the book Proverbs. Like, I appreciated that. Yeah. Corey, what do you got for us? Uh, well, what I have has some religious connotations, but it's not a colorful circumcision. <laughs> uh, what word was used by the Greeks to describe characters such as Arachne, Icarus, Cassiopeia, and Tantalus, or people who claim to be better than a god? Hmm. I'm guessing that the answer is hubris <laughs> somehow. Hey, it is. But the um, that's interesting because I never would have thought of it as like a like a personal adjective or like um, what would be the adjective of like is it is it itself? Uh, I don't know. I'm getting my brain isn't working right now. <laughs> I'm thinking like a of personality like, trait. Yeah, because like you have hubris. Hubristic. Hubri- okay, hubristic. There we go. Because yeah. I was thinking like pride, prideful, oh. hubris. You know, like I couldn't think of the transition between the thing it is and someone who exhibits that uh, that feeling or that uh, idea. Quick question about Corey. Because um, as trivia writers, we phrase our questions in a specific way to get people's juices flowing towards a specific direction what i i'm not picking up on the colorful circumcision hint i i think the less said about this the better because yeah <laughs> i am oh. i didn't i didn't get it either then i heard you say it oh. I'm like oh oh that's that's terrible that's terrible uh, so for for anybody else who's not picking it up Corey just typed in in chat the word hue h-u-e and then bris which is the term for a circumcision so technically hubris Ugh. Yeah, terrible i also didn't i also didn't pick up that i was like this is going to a weird place but now on the back <laughs> end of it it still is in a weird place <laughs> so i uh i i wanted to just throw something kind of fun in there because i couldn't think of it's another so fun Corey. It's so fun <laughs> I could, thank you so much i, I, I couldn't think of an another good entry point for the word, um, other than just kind of describing what it is. So I, I threw that in as uh, more of a word problem. 
that people could play with or just to laugh at afterwards. I like it. And it's the kind of thing I think where if you ask that in a room full of people, you're going to know which teams are getting it by this, the groans around yeah. the room. <laughs> Fair. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm the anchor this week. So here is my question. Whether they failed due to mismanagement, hubris, or lack of market share, many early internet-based companies went belly up in the early 2000s, which caused what is now known as the dot-com bubble. The dot-com bubble is often associated with what internet startup that despite successful brand recognition due to its popular sock puppet mascot, went bankrupt in 2000 due to mismanagement and lack of sales. So overall... I'm I'm not super happy with the wording, and I would, by the time this would reach my players, I would have reworded it so I didn't restate mismanagement, the 2000s early internet, as many times as I did. But that said, the only company that I can think of that I really associate with a sock puppet. Does anybody else have a lead on this before I... Take no, I've made my hand into a sock puppet, and I'm looking at it as though it might give me an answer. <laughs> oh, is, is, that, is that helping? It's not. I would not recommend it. It's a shame we're not on video, because I'm sure I look like a real doofus. <laughs> so, this company were huge for a very short period. They were only around for a couple years, if they, I'm... They were founded in November of 1998, and they folded in November of 2000. And for those uh. two years, the sock puppet mascot, who didn't have a name, it was a little sock puppet that would show up and would talk to people, um, kind was of this, like uh, was, was that the a little... monkey one? It's not a. It's not a monkey. It was like a little floppy-eared dog with like a. That's correct. Uh, that's like the a one. patch over its eye. Yeah. Uh, so that then that's pets.com. That is pets.com. Um, the, the sock puppet, it didn't have a name, but it was voiced by comedian Michael Ian Black, which, uh, people of a certain age might remember as a, a main cast member from the MTV comedy show, The Stand, or, or not, The State, I'm sorry, not The Stand, uh, from the MTV comedy show, The States. Uh, he was also in, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, uh, and the comedy troupe Stella with David Wayne and Michael Showalter. Um, but, uh, that sock puppet... Everybody for those two years was talking about pets.com. The sock puppet was uh, in the Macy's Day Parade. It was interviewed yeah. by people. Uh, they had a Super Bowl commercial, and there just wasn't enough people to use the internet to buy pet products for their for their animals. They they didn't have a market share that was big enough to support an entire company, and then they also mismanaged uh, the sales that they did have to the point where they were losing money whenever they sold anything. So they went belly up only two years after. But when you talk about the dot-com bubble, they're one of the biggest names because everybody for those two years knew about pets.com, just nobody used it. So is it, it's one of those things that when you talk about the dot-com bubble, that's one of the names, the terms that gets uh, thrown around just because it, it was a, a well-known story of the dot-com bubble breaking you know what you know what's kind of a trip is i'm a little older i'm almost 40 now and early 2000s for me that was like uh college right around there post-college a lot of my in-person regulars um tend to be younger so i kind of have to watch my content in terms of referencing too specific of a you know like this is a two or three year period where 
nowadays the my bartenders made of um, bar goers might have been like two or three years old you know what i mean yeah, yeah for sure this if i were to put this in my regular weekly game it would probably go closer towards the end of the game where my more difficult questions hide uh just because most of the people that would be at the bar would have been maybe five or six when the sock puppet was around um but uh, when I started thinking about hubris, uh, the things that came to mind immediately were Mac from Always Sunny, you know, swearing up and down that he could do like a spinning heel kick and not being able to ever do it. <laughs> um, you know, Icarus flying into the sun, like people too, you know, not knowing their own limits. And then I started thinking about uh, companies that tried to do something. Uh, and that just got me to the dot-com bubble. And so, you know, due to time constraints, that's where I ended up. But you're right. You, you do have to pay attention to the to the age of your people just because for me and you who were in college during that time and laughing at the dumb sock puppet, uh, you know, some of our players might have been running around in diapers at that time, not paying attention. Or we're in college running around in diapers. <laughs> also I was, true. Uh, I was 14, which was prime laughing at stupid sock puppet uh, age. Especially, do you remember that they had a, uh, a legal fight with Triumph? I didn't know remember that. Remember Triumph? Yeah. Uh, I think they sued NBC because Triumph was making jokes about uh, Pets.com ripping <laughs> off the whole dog puppet thing. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, Corey, where would people go if they wanted to vote on which of those four questions they found the most palatable? Well, believe it or not, uh, quadriviapodcast.com was an available domain name, so I bought <laughs> I it. Say. Yeah, yeah, nobody had that. So I bought it, and now you can visit you? that to... Uh, I do, and I'm not going to share it with any of you. Um, head to quadriviapodcast.com, and, and you'll find all four of our questions and answers. Vote on them. Let us know which one you think was best. And uh, I will accept my prize at a future date. But for <laughs> now, <out> here. <laughs> for now, I'm going to take over the show. Uh, we're about to wrap things up here. But first, I have to present a round of trivia for you guys and Aaron. <laughs> I'm trying really hard to get out of those gendered terms. And guys and dude has been one of the hardest ones for me because you know I use both of them so often. I do too, but I've always used them. I mean, I use y'all a lot more than y'all do for obvious reasons, but I feel like guys <laughs> and dude can be and maybe are becoming unisex. But I, I think so. They're definitely used, you know, in a in a unisex uh, manner. Yeah. But but I appreciate what I, you're I'm doing. still I'm trying to be aware of it. Uh, so I figured that uh, one thing we didn't really talk about is. Uh, during private events, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I will usually try to do at least one round that is themed toward uh, whatever company or or whatever I am uh, hosting for. And so I figured it would be appropriate to do a quadrivia-themed round for our trivia this week. Quadrivia-themed? I don't even know what that means. Well... Quadrivium was a step beyond trivium. You know, the, the three and the four uh, components of, of education 
uh, back in the days when such words as trivium and quadrivium were used. So it's actually a the the round itself is called quadrivium, and it is focusing on the parts of the quadrivium. Uh, we're looking at uh, numbers, arithmetic, um, astronomy, and music. Or is it geometry, arithmetic, astronomy, and music? And so it's not one of the easiest rounds that I've written, awesome. but I did have a lot of fun and I learned a lot while writing it. So hopefully uh, you'll enjoy it as well. Are you ready? Uh, about as ready as we'll ever be, I guess. So no. Got it. Uh, I'll just ask each question, give you guys a couple seconds to discuss it. We'll just do one question, one answer to get through these pretty quickly. So, All right, question number one. The unit of measurement named after the French mathematician Blaise Pascal is best represented by which 1981 song performed in part by a British astrophysicist and a starman? Under pressure, right, would be that oh, one. Well, there goes the discussion. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes. No. I didn't no, mean that's, that's all right. I didn't you think did. that that's that was perfect. the answer. I just, my mind when you said, astrophysician i was like that's queen and then Starman right. was ed uh was bowie and so i was like all right under pressure where do we go from there was my first uh, <laughs> uh i didn't think that was the answer no, that I was, was that was the discussion point sorry uh that was it exactly uh a pascal being the the unit of pressure that uh, discusses you know internal pressure and stress uh that that was your entry there Oh, cool. Yeah. Don't don't apologize for getting it that quickly. I had gotten as far as Queen and I would have gotten there eventually, but um, <laughs> you saved us some time. So thank you. Question number two. Born around 300 BC, which Greek mathematician is known as the father of geometry? His name was lent to a mathematical system based on his work. I think I know this. one. Yeah, I do, too. OK, I, just to I want to you know, vamp just a little bit. To, I, I think if two of us have it lights out, there might be people listening that would have it lights out as well. So I'm just going to kill another three seconds before I say uh, Euclid or Euclidean geometry. I think that's what you were talking about. That is correct. Yay. The answer is Euclid. We'll move right on. <laughs> Question number three. By creating two squares that have lengths equal to the shortest sides of a right triangle, you will have the same area as a square using the length of the longest side from that same triangle. This process describes what fundamental principle? I think I understand what you're asking and therefore have a guess. It, it's definitely one of those questions that uh, comes across better when you do have a screen to see, to kind of look at it piece by piece and... Yeah. And put it together. But uh, yeah, what, what did you come across? Well, if you've got a square and another square, when you add them together, you get a third square. That sounds to me like A squared plus B squared is C squared, which would be the Pythagorean theorem. That is the Pythagorean theorem. Yes, I knew a math one. Yay. Yeah. That's where I was leaning to, but just because of the uh, longest side of the triangle, I... When you started asking the question, I started drawing two squares and then I drew a right triangle. I was like... What the fuck am I drawing here? <laughs> um, 
but just based on the longest side of the same triangle, I would have guessed Pythagorean theorem. All right. Question number four. Uh, this also, by the way, was a round where it did get progressively harder. Oh, oh good. So good. <laughs> Under pressure. Uh, question four. This... <laughs> exactly. This geometric figure was used by Johann Kepler. Johann, right? Or is it Johannes? I think it's Johann. Uh, this geometric figure was used by Kepler to describe the orbits of the planets with the sun in the center. Oliver, I think it's your turn to know this one. Heliocentric. That is the name of the model. But what's the geometric figure? Oh, I oh. just gave it to you. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that before you put it in chat. Yeah, it's an ellipse. Because it's not, it's not a circle. or A circle is an ellipse, but not all ellipses are circles. No, I fucked that up. Anyway. I, I, I just asked that question in trivia a couple weeks ago. Is that a circle is a special kind of ellipse? Yes. Because somebody else had just brought that up. I'm surprised you didn't work uh, some sort of weird circumcision hint to that ellipse. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, from now on, I will make sure I have one circumcision reference in every show that I do. <laughs> Question five. Uh, what is the age of a woman who celebrated her quinceanera on this date in 2005, divided by the size of the U.S. Supreme Court in 1789? Okay, so if her quinceanera was today, fif- or, uh, was in 2005, that means it was she was 15 in 2005, so she'd be 30 today, Divided by 30 divided by the size of the U.S. Supreme Court in 1789. So I'm assuming that it would be easily divisible. That would make it five or six or not four as well. I mean, I that's should, or one. still easily doable. I yeah, should absolutely one. know this, but I don't. Um, I want to say five just because a six-person court would be kind of silly, but a lot of things were silly in 1789, so... Yeah, my reason I, I, is not going to get us there. I think that I think that five people on the Supreme Court makes the most sense, which would make the answer six. But it, I think it's fifty-fifty that it could go the other direction too. That there were six people on the court that would make the answer five. So what do we think? Do we think that the original Supreme Court had five or six people or three? Yeah. Because it's or three. It's, oh God, you're it's right. Seventeen eighty-nine. Originally, I read it as eight nineteen eighty-nine. But yeah, it might have just been three. Shit. But I, I would <laughs> go for that. Yeah, I would go for that odd number for sure, though. Yeah, I don't. Well, I was gonna say I don't know that it was ever three, but if I'm wrong, I'm gonna look like an asshole. So. So let's go five. Yeah. So that would mean if there was the five answer? people, six would be the answer. Okay, so six is your answer. Hey. Yay! <laughs> we it's mathed. wrong. It's we wrong. collectively mathed. Damn it. No, I was I was confirming that six was your answer. It's not the correct answer. Oh, uh, we mapped correct incorrectly. Answer is five. They did have a six-person court for a while. They That's did. dumb. <laughs> and so, yeah. while this one you would have to have, you know, a very uh, specific historical knowledge to know that that was the size of the U.S. Supreme Court, the fact that you would have to be able to divide it cleanly does at least narrow it down to options uh, as you perfectly demonstrated. So when I do something a little more obscure or specific like that, I still like to be able to narrow it down. 
and yeah. Oh yeah, it it so makes great, it gettable. Great even job. If you don't exactly. know that's, all the information you need. Yeah. That's all I hope for, or at least a one in three guess like yeah. we had to take. We can't be mad, in other words. Yeah. All right. You want some more math? Nope. Nope. I mean, it's quadrivium. <laughs> There's only four subjects and two of them are math. <laughs> so, <laughs> number six. What is the smallest number that can be divided evenly by every number from one to ten? It has to end in zero because it's divisible by ten. Right. And then divisible by nine would be 90, 180, and so on and so forth. This is the one I, I feel like you have to break down each one in the prime factors and then multiply all the base prime factors together. Sounds yeah. like Oliver's volunteering to figure this out for us. <laughs> well, because I, I mean, I think that that is the the only way that we're going to get to it. And if this was a a pub trivia scenario, I don't know how much time Corey would give us in real life to try and do this math as fast as possible. So I give, uh, I try to give about one minute per question. Okay. And then, and I do uh, a 10 question, 10 answer. So they have roughly 10 minutes to work on it total, uh, minus wherever it is in the spot. So this one being question six, I think it was, um, you know, they, they'd still wind up with six to seven minutes to work on this one before I close down the answer sheet. And I can tell you that this one had a 67% get rate. Wow. So that means that it's got to be a well-known number, or at least this fact has to be well-known, or at least they could do math faster than I'm able to in my head, because I'm still going up by multiples of uh, multiples of 90 until I could find something that's divisible by 8 and 7. If something's divisible by 6, it's also, it's also divisible by 3 and 2. If something's divisible by nine, it's also divisible by three. So we need to find something that is divisible by nine, eight, seven, and six. Nine times eight times seven How times about six. Twelve sixty. Nope, not by eight. So multiply so, that by two. If you multiply nine times eight times seven times six, you get uh, 3,024. Is that the correct answer? <laughs> this one's fun because I think it illustrates the value of playing on a team versus playing by yourself because there is a way to divide and conquer and brute force this, um, which yeah. we're illustrating because the boys are doing math and I'm sitting here fucking around on my phone and waiting for you to do math. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so you're the team captain. Exactly. I'm supervising. Um, but when you get questions like this, and Corey, when I ask questions like this, I kind of do like you. I try and think about where to put them in the order to give people enough time without making it like a given that they're going to get there eventually. Exactly. You know, if, if I made this the first one, then they've got 15 up to 20 minutes to work on it. And I feel like that's too much. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I did uh, around once. I called it back to school and it was kind of like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? And I had them do long division and everyone was furious it was great <laughs> oliver i think you're the last one you said 25 20 i've gone through and i think that that's unless we could find one smaller no it can't be smaller one. than that so it's 25 20 that that is correct okay yay yay um and i heard i heard you going through through your steps and and it was uh absolutely the right way to get there so okay so basically what were the the 
my reasoning, but then I got stuck. Not stuck, but I didn't go through it all the way, was every... It has to be divisible by um, not just the prime numbers, you know, 9, 7, but it has to end in a 0. So basically, you take all the numbers and um, boil them down to their prime, their factorials, right? Is that what they're called? The, the, their base numbers? So 4 is 2 times 2. Um, yeah. 5 is obviously 5 and 1. 6 is 2 times 3. Sevens by itself, eight is two times two times two, and nine is three by three. So I just didn't know how many times to duplicate the twos into the, so I multiplied one times two times three times five times seven. And then I just didn't know how many times to take it into account that double two from the four with the two and the three, like do those cancel out? Like one of those twos are common, right? And then I think you need three extra twos on top of there and you need two extra threes on top of there because you've got to account for the nine. And so you just multiply all those and you get 20, 25, 20. All right, let's, let's move on. Question seven, which astrological age is said to signal spirituality and harmony and is given plenty of attention in a 1967 musical? Oh, I got it, yeah. I know this one. Yay. That's the, the Age of Aquarius made famous by the musical Hair which was made famous by the nudity in the musical. <laughs> and then also famously the the ending musical scene of the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin. That's how I got it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's the one. Question number eight. Combining the quadrivium, which we already went over, uh, astronomy, music, etc. Combining the quadrivium with grammar, dialectic, and rhetoric this Latin prose writer was one of the earliest developers of the seven liberal arts or the seven disciplines. He was not, however, particularly well known for his singing or his mimicry of instruments. Oof. <laughs> Man. That, that is your colorful circumcision. Yeah, that's I'll what tell I'm... You. Yeah, that's the part <laughs> that's I'm concentrating I'm, on. I'm trying to think of... I don't know... Any Latin prose writers named karaoke? <laughs> um, Aaron, yeah. I will say that you should be uh, our, our grabber here. So it's acapella is what he's going for, I think, but I don't understand how that. Oh, okay. The okay. How that now gets I us. See that. How that gets us. Because um, the first thing I went to was either Bobby McFerrin or scatting, and then I realized what you were going for. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it doesn't help me get to the answer. So you actually did get the answer. Oh, um, this is one. Uh, we're question eight here. So we're getting into the harder part of this round. And as I said, this round was written to get a little more difficult um, and to really dive into some of that more specific knowledge. So I will tell you the answer here is Capella. Oh, okay. As in a Capella. Um, yeah, so but not, uh, not related, but Capella is known for the seven disciplines. Uh, so either you, you knew that one or you didn't. Um, and I just kind of tried to help nudge it along with the, uh, that little extra bit there at the end. The, uh, it's, this is bad, but this is just my upbringing when, uh, the, the first joke that came to my head when you said, uh, the earliest developers of the seven liberal arts, the, the Asian father in me was like, 
What is that? Unemployment? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. All and right. now I'm an Asian uh, father, so, you know. <laughs> How old is your kid now? I remember you uh, took a break a while back. She just turned three, the oldest one, and I have a five-month-old. How's it going for you? Uh, it's getting a little better. He's uh, It's more dependent on the little one and his sleeping, because uh, we were sleeping through the night already with the older one. But, yeah. No one wants to hear about that, though. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they want to hear about this. Uh, There are two primary types of telescopes. Reflectors is one. What is the other, which uses lenses instead of mirrors to magnify objects? So, uh, an ellipsoidal in lighting is a lighting instrument that uses lenses to adjust the beam size of the the light from the light source. That is all I have to contribute. So shot in the dark, my guess would be something like ellipsoidal, unless one of y'all has something that you want to add. I I thought I remembered this one because I, I had written a question about uh, multiple types of microscopes, multiple types of uh, other devices. Like I would list types of this type of thing, like electron scanning, you know what I mean? Like that type of thing. And if I remember correctly, it's um, refracting. That would have been my... that's. If this was early in the round, my initial knee-jerk reaction to hearing reflector would be refractor. Yeah. But it's late in the round, so I don't feel like it's that simple. I do like that better than what I said, though. So I will tell you, ellipsoidal is just talking about the shape, which I think is kind of funny, uh, given that ellipse was an answer earlier. Um, But it's not the answer now. Uh, it is refractor. Oh. Nice. Hey. Part of the uh, mind game is putting the easier stuff later on to make people <laughs> second guess themselves. So I'm pretty happy with that. And we're going to go on to the final question. Question number 10. Because it's halfway between the very stable intervals known as the perfect fourth and perfect fifth, the devil's interval is the least harmonious dyad in Western music. If you were in the key of C, what note along with C would complete the devil's interval? F sharp? That is one of them. There are two answers on this one. Oh. I, I believe, isn't that... You're talking about a tritone, right? Yeah. So a tritone of a C would be... I'm thinking uh, guitar fingers because that's the way that I do music theory. Up from a C, one string, and over one fret would be the fourth fret on the D string, which would be D, E, F. Sharp. Oh, yeah, that gives me F sharp. So I'm trying to come up with the other one. So you'd go down one string and over, so that would be A, B flat, B. It would be B, B and C is one if you're going from B to C and C to F sharp. Oh, what you're saying in the C scale. <laughs> now I'm getting confused. You, would you like me to give it to you? Yeah. Uh, so the devil's interval uh, would be either uh, C and F sharp or C and G flat. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. It's, so, that's because, yeah. yeah exactly. That's because G flat and C sharp or F sharp are the same thing. Yeah. 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 The, but so you have to accept either one. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, 
I, yeah, I was like, what? I was wondering it? where Jeff was going. Right? No, you said when dyad. You, dyad means two. What is it? When you, yeah, when yeah. you said that there were I, two answers, I was thinking that you meant that C was the, you were, you could have also accepted the one where C would be the tritone of the other, oh, of the other oh, note. Yeah. So I went the other direction. I'm sorry. Ah. That was, yeah. that was my bad. Yeah. So fun, uh, but yeah. Fun guitar fact uh, for anybody who wants to play an easy tritone. All you have to do is play a power chord and move the middle note, which is the fifth, down one half step, and that's called a Mister Bungle chord. And it does the it does the same thing. That's fun, unnecessary knowledge that could absolutely be cut out of the podcast. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. So that wasn't as bad as uh, you know when you said quadrivia. Uh, yeah, you had me scared. <laughs> there was a few, though. There was a few that you guys had to to work through, and that's remember you are trivia hosts who have quite a bit of uh, knowledge together. Some of the teams, it was pretty rough for some of these teams, so I was well, happy with it. I will admit that those those math questions threw me for a loop. Like if it's if it's something trivia based, like oh Euclidean geometry. I absolutely yeah. know that, but if you had asked me to describe what Euclidean geometry is, I would never be able to tell you that, or you know what I mean, or the differences between anything like that. And I was trying to be careful with it too. I wanted to have some math questions in there because I think it is an important part of, uh, you know, just a, a good knowledge base. Um, but I wanted to ask questions about you know the the subject of math itself as well. So I, I tried to mix it up. Yeah, I liked it. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, on that note, let's uh, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, Jeff, can you please lead us out of the darkness here? Sure. Uh, for those of you who want to get in contact with us to send us either a keyword for the keyword challenge or just to say hi, uh, you can find us at quadriviapod at gmail.com for emails, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at quadriviapod and the aforementioned uh, quadriviapodcast.com, right? That's what we got That's for the right. for the uh, you could fill out the survey for the keyword challenge there. Uh, I've been Jeff. You could find me uh, at RMT Trivia on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. I'm Corey. You can find me at Third Degree Entertainment just about anywhere you look for it. I'm Oliver. Um, still building that website, but you can find me uh, hanging out with these jabronis. <laughs> and i'm aaron orange cat trivia on facebook instagram gmail and twitch and i have been instructed to sign off and i refuse <laughs> okay well then i guess we will stay here forever as another week of us not knowing how to leave it's already just been cause... a day and a half you might as well just get comfortable <laughs> yeah right well let's just, let's just start recording the next episode right now Okay. Uh, welcome, everybody. My name is Corey. This is Quadrivia, <laughs> and I'm turning off my recording. Thanks for listening, everybody. Where do we go? I would love to take us into the keyword challenge. I don't remember the words that I'm supposed to bring in the keyword challenge with, but uh, I can tell us what the keyword is. I'm super, I'm so, so bad. At, I was not prepared for this today.
yeah, that's going to bring us into the keyword challenge. Today's keyword is brought to us by Taylor M. Hayden. Are we doing last? Sorry, are we doing last names? I thought we decided that we weren't going to give people. Do you have a social security number? Uh, today's keyword was sent to us from Taylor M. in Hayden, Indiana. And it is the word. <laughs> what? What? What did I say? <laughs> I even spelled it out. Oh, you did. <laughs> Fuck. Oh. This was supposed to be my day off. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. <sighs> All right.